Hey church, we are finishing out our Advent series, Kingdom Christmas Today. We're in week four of Advent and our theme for today is God for us. So we've been through God in us and God through us and God with us. Today we're talking about God for us and what that means here out of Matthew chapter 2 verses 1 through 12. And here's the kingdom principle I want to give you. Uh, to remember that we're going to take throughout this is that God is for Jesus, which means God is for us. So God is for Jesus. Okay. He is for Jesus, which means he is for us. So if we're in Jesus, he's for us, but also, also definitely, but also because God is for Jesus, he's pursuing us. He's pursuing this world. His, his goal is to reconcile this world to himself. So because God is for Jesus and Jesus is the way he's come, as we talked about last time, he's come to save us from our sins. He's for reconciling us. He's for bringing us closer to him. He's for chasing us down. He's for showing us his love. He wants that for you. So no matter what you've done, no matter where you are, no matter what you've come out of, no matter what your background is, what your religion is, what your ethnicity is, what your, um, what your, uh, who your parents are, uh, how much money you have, um, what country you come from. None of those things matter because if, since God is for Jesus, he's for us. Those things aren't going to hinder the gospel. They aren't going to hinder God's love from pursuing after you. So that's what we're going to talk about today. But before we get started, before we jump into that, I want you, if you're in your R3, do this with your R3. If you're, if you're viewing this on your own, uh, do this on your own. But I want you to, to brainstorm Christmas story traditions. So I want you to brainstorm all the things you know about the, 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 about Jesus' story, about the Christmas story. I'm not talking about like Santa Claus and Twas the Night Before Christmas and that. I'm talking about the, the birth of Christ, that story. I want you to brainstorm everything you know about it over the next minute. Um, and, and just all the traditional things and all that. So um, take this next minute and, and do that. So we know a few things about the Christmas story, but I think we may have added some things in along the way. So we know Jesus, sorry, we know Joseph and Mary are from Nazareth. They, they come together in Nazareth and they have to travel to Bethlehem 
for the census. And that's because Bethlehem is Joseph's hometown. Okay. How many of you guys had Mary on a donkey? Well, that isn't actually in the scriptures, but we always picture Mary on a donkey and Joseph leading her on, on a donkey and her riding on a donkey, right? Well, that's just a, that's just a tradition. That's not actually in the, in the scriptural Christmas story. Um, and then, and then uh, we haven't gone to Bethlehem. Remember, it's Joseph's hometown. We haven't gone to Bethlehem and there's not enough room in the inn, right? So where do they have to go? Well, they have to go to a stable and Jesus is placed in a manger. Well, guess what? The, the actual stable isn't in the scriptures. There's no stable in the scriptures. We've added that tradition in because of the manger. We just pictured it that way. But check out this nativity set here. There's no stable, right? Um, well, there's no anything. There's kind of out in the open, uh, but there's no, well, there's no stable, but there's some that build a stable around them, right? But Jesus wasn't, wasn't necessarily born in a stable. We've added that one in. Um, actually the word for in isn't even, it's, it's kind of a mistranslation. It's, it's, uh, well, kind of. It, it is a mistranslation. Um, it doesn't mean, especially for us, because it doesn't mean uh, a hotel. So it's not necessarily a mistranslation, I shouldn't say that. It's, it's we've, we picture an inn a certain way, okay? What that word literally means is guest room, right? It's actually the same word that's used for the upper room in Mark chapter 14, verse 14. So it's a guest room. It's where you would host people. Right? Think about this. Joseph is from Bethlehem. His family is there. It's a, the, their culture, the Arab culture, is, the Palestinian culture in particular is so hospitable. Um, it's incredibly hospitable. So you think they would have Joseph with his pregnant wife say, no, like there's no room for you here? No, they would take them in, okay? There just wasn't room in the guest room, in the upper room. Right, the, the room that's that's kind of above the first floor, so so it's not like they went to the innkeeper and the innkeeper turned them away. There is no innkeeper here in the scriptures, although a lot of times we we think there is. Um, also, uh, this this uh, there so there's no room in the upper room, so they go down on the first floor essentially, which is where you would bring in the animals at night in that culture. You'd bring them in to protect them from the cold, you bring them to protect them from, from uh, predators, uh, or maybe from thieves, and you bring them into the room, so there would have been a manger in the bottom floor of the, uh, of the house, which is essentially the kitchen or something. And before you think that's like really weird to have your animals in your house, I mean, how many of you guys have dogs who are living in your house or cats? Like, and before you say, oh, that's different, well, go to an Arab culture and tell them your dog sleeps in your bed and see how, how different that sounds. Like, th it would be filthy to even have your dog inside your house. There to even have a dog would be filthy. So, um, like, we're, we're talking the same thing here. So they brought in their sheep. So you see the sheep here. You know, we got a little sheep here. Um, uh, they brought in, you know, the baby goat. I don't know what they brought in there. Um, but, and they laid Jesus in a manger. So the manger is actually in the scriptures. So you're, you're safe there. If you like a way in a manger for your, 
your um, Christmas Carol, you're, you're safe. That's not a complete farce. Uh, although <laughs> there probably are a lot of other Christmas Carols that are that are complete farces. Um, so um, here, uh, so Mary Island Donkey, no inn, no innkeeper. Um, and uh, and now let's talk about the wise men here. So these are the wise men. Uh, how many wise men were there? Well, we have three here. But does it actually say there's three in the scriptures? Well, no, it doesn't. Um, it just says they're, they're wise men. Actually, that is uh, kind of a, it's a translation that, that gives us something more than is probably there. The word for them is magi. Right, that's, that's the word, magi. So you know there's magi. There, uh, traditionally, there's three of them because there's three gifts. Um, so it's, it's, um, it's inference, right? So there's three. So, but here's the thing. Um, and sometimes they're called the three kings. Well, that's just definitely tradition. That's not, we don't see that anywhere in the scriptures that they're kings. If anything, they could have been part of the royal court, if anything, uh, which we'll, we'll talk about in a second. But, but, but they could have been even lower than that. So, um, and also, if, you, if you're really big in your Christ, into your Christ, Christmas traditions, uh, you may even know the names of the wise men, of the Magi, uh, Gaspar, Melchior, and Balthazar. You may have known those. Um, if you think those are the names of them, well, that's not in the scriptures either. Um, that actually doesn't come to come into existence until towards the end of the sixth century. So um, there's that. Uh, so again, it's tradition. And then one last thing with the wise men, with the magi. They weren't actually at the birth of Jesus. So sorry, but they don't even belong at the nativity, at the nativity scene. They didn't show up. So they don't show up until they see the star. We're going to go over this story. They don't show up until they see the star. Sorry. They don't start traveling until they see the star appear. Well, they come from the east. Could have taken them one to two years to get there. We know that because Herod starts killing all infants who are under two after he finds out when the star appeared and where they came from. Right? So it took them one to two years to even get there. So Jesus, the way to make this nativity scene, nativity, nativity scene, Correct is maybe Jesus is standing up like this. He's a toddler. Now we can bring them back in um, because Jesus is a toddler and now they can give them their gifts, right? Um, but unfortunately, this one, well, maybe we can lay him next to Mary here. Oh, no, sorry. Jesus fell down. Okay, I'm just going to lay him back down. Wise men, you're, you're over here traveling from the east. So um, those are... Those are all these Christmas traditions that they become traditions for us. They've, they've, uh, they've become things that we thought were part of it. When we actually look at the scriptures, they're just things that were added or inferred or implied along the way. They're not actually things that we know for certain. And, and, <clears throat> and so let's check this out because we're going to see some of that play out here in this in this passage so it says in verse one now after jesus was born in bethlehem now bethlehem guys here's here's another reason why an inn wouldn't have existed in bethlehem because bethlehem is this like i've heard it described like this 
it was basically a a podunk uh, truck stop in rural Wyoming, like out in the middle of nowhere where there's no people. Like it's not an inn. Nobody would nobody would come to Bethlehem to stay the night. So there wouldn't be a hotel. There wouldn't be a a holiday inn or a comfort inn or a days inn, right? It was just families. Um, even today, Bethlehem is a pretty small is a pretty small town, and uh, I mean you have that Christmas Carol, a little town of Bethlehem, right? It is a very small town. I mean Joseph went to Nazareth for an improvement. And as Nathaniel said, what good comes out of Nazareth? So what does that say about Bethlehem? Um, the only thing it had going for it was, well, that's where Jacob buried Rachel. That's where Boaz met Ruth. That's where King David grew up. And now this is where Jesus is going to be born. Actually, that's kind of a lot, isn't it? That's, that makes Bethlehem pretty cool, um, actually. Which, uh, for us at Trinity Life, this is where we engage globally. This is, we, we work in Bethlehem and... We do what we do here in St. Jamestown, in Lawrence Heights, in Victoria Village, in, in Mount Dennis. Uh, we do in Bethlehem. And we work with asset-based community development. We work through domain engagement to try to um, work for the common good and share the love and light of, of Jesus. And, and so Bethlehem has a very special place in my heart. It's like a second home for Missy and I. has a very special place in the heart of our church. Um, for, of course, these scriptural, theological, spiritual reasons, but also because um, that is where the Lord has called us to, to engage. And we have friends there. And as you've seen through the Global Gift, it's where we have been engaging even through this pandemic. So um, here, back in verse 1, it says, Jesus, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, uh, it it, it um, qualifies which Bethlehem, because there's two Bethlehems, uh, maybe even more, uh, but Bethlehem of Judea. In the days of Herod the king, behold, magi, wise men, came from the east, or from the east, came to Jerusalem. Okay, so they're not even, they haven't gone to Bethlehem. They've gone to Jerusalem because they're going to Herod the king. And, and again, here's, here's, here's men from the east and they're Gentiles. So you've already seen Tamar and Rahab and Ruth and, and Bathsheba, right? And, and now we have an appearance of more Gentiles coming in from the east. And of all, of all things, we'll get to this in a second, but of all things, they're magi. And, and, uh, and it says here in verse 2, the magi say, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? So they go to King Herod, the king, and they say, where's the real king? Where's the other one? Where's the one who's actually the king of the Jews? How bold and how brash that statement is. We just read over it, but guys, they are in Jerusalem, They are in the court of King Herod, the king. And they go and they say, hey, king, where is the actual king? We came to meet him. We came to see him. And of course it says King Herod is is pretty troubled at that. And the question we're left with is, well, who's your king? 
Guys, who's your king? If someone came to you and said, hey, I've heard about this King Jesus, and I want to meet him, would you be able to introduce him or her to King Jesus? Or would you say, no, I'm the king? Oh, no, 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 I know there is, yeah, there's someone named King Jesus, but uh, the government is king. Money is king. My livelihood is king. My job is king. My, my spouse is king. My children are king. My desires are king. My sin is king. Who's your king? These magi, who are looking pretty wise now, come into the king who's an oppressor. Because any other king besides Jesus, guys, is oppressing you. Any other king besides Jesus is shackling you, has imprisoned you. And they come to King Herod, the oppressor, and they say, where is the king of the Jews? How bold, how brash. So they come and say that to him. And guys, these are, these are men from the east who have been exposed to the Hebrew scriptures somehow. Well, somehow is through the Babylonian captivity. And when the Babylonian captivity happened, uh, there's still a community of Jews in Babylon. And they've been, they've been exposed to the Hebrew scriptures. So these men are seeking the Lord. They're seeking God. They've done this through, through um, Hebrew scriptures. But guys, here's the thing. They're not Jewish. They're not, they're, they're magi. And magi in the scriptures, what's so striking about this, the reason I keep on saying this is because magi in the scriptures aren't these like, oh, they're wise men, they're, they're three kings. No, magi in the scriptures are anathema. Magi in the scriptures are astrologers and diviners, sorcerers. Practitioners of, pra practitioners of witchcraft. They're the ones who are astrologists who read the stars. And all those things are condemned in the Hebrew scriptures. Like all, that, whole, uh, that, that whole religious stuff, the, the witchcraft, the sorcery, the astrology, the, the divination, all those things are condemned in the Hebrew scriptures. And that's who these guys are. They're magi. Think, picture in the royal court of Pharaoh, Moses coming in and, and, and saying, let my people go, throwing his staff down, it becomes a snake. Well, who does Pharaoh bring in? He brings in the magi. He says, hey, show this guy that you can do what he does. And they all do it. They all throw down their staffs and make snakes. Well, the cool thing is, uh, Moses' staff, Aaron's staff, eats, eats uh, the other snakes, eats the other staffs. Um, but that's magi. That's, that's like, they're in the royal court. Like, they could even be as worse as, like, traveling snake oil, oil salesmen, essentially. Like, that's the spectrum here. We don't know who these are. So they wouldn't have been kings. They, at most, they're in the royal court, like the pharaoh, like the ones in, in Egypt, like the Egyptian Magi's, the magicians, the magicians, right? Um, magi. 
Uh, and uh, at, at worst, they're just like traveling snake oil salesmen, right? Where they're just like trying to con people. And, and so this is who recognizes out of everybody, this is who recognizes the stars. And they're practicing some form of astrology because they're reading the stars, right? I don't know if it's their religion, but they're reading the stars, which, um, you know, when the Old Testament condemns us talking about the religious practices of it, like constellations, and I'm a Virgo, and I'm, I fit these things, and I'm a, you know, a Sagittarius, and I fit these things, and so this is my fate and my destiny. Like, that's what they're, they're speaking against. Like, we don't know that for a fact here, but they are reading the stars. And they're reading the Old Testament. So they're reading the scriptures, and they're reading the stars. And they're doing it in a way that all of Israel, all of the people of God, all of the Jews at this time, had overlooked. And these people from a year, two years journey east are finding the birthplace of the Christ, of the Messiah, of Jesus. Here's an example of something that they may have studied and read. This is Numbers chapter 24. Numbers 24 verse 17 says this, and they, they could have read this. And what's, what's funny here, not funny, what's, what's interesting here is Balaam gives this oracle. Balaam does. Um, and Balaam was, uh, I mean, there's so much here about, about Balaam. But Balaam was this, uh, was this prophet that was against the people of God, uh, or trying to be. But he ends up prophesying for the people of God and blessing them. So this is final oracle. He says here in verse 17, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob. And a scepter, remember Judah, shall rise out of Israel. That is an example of something that the Magi are reading. They've seen this because they say here in verse 2, for we saw his star. We saw it when it rose. And we've come to worship him. We've come to, to worship the king, the king of the Jews. Why would they come and worship the king of the Jews? They're not Jewish. Because they recognize that he's going to be the king of the world. He's the king of kings, the king of the universe. These magi part of a different religion, part of a different nation, part of a different cultural background, recognize all these things from the outside that everyone else overlooked, that everyone else missed because they were stuck in their tradition. Everyone wanted a certain type of Messiah. They wanted a certain type of king. They wanted a certain type of person who was going to rescue them. And here... From the outside in, they recognize it. They recognize the Messiah. They recognize that the King of Jews is going to be born. And when King Herod heard this, he was troubled. All Jerusalem was with him, and assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired to them where the Christ was to be born. So Herod assembles the chief priests. He assembles the scribes, and they. They tell him, oh, well, Micah says this. In Bethlehem of Judea, he says this, that he's going to be born in Bethlehem. 
Verse 6, in the land of Judah, and are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people, uh, my people Israel. So finally the chief priests, the scribes, recognize something is happening. I don't think they recognize that the Messiah is being born, but they just say, well, no, the Messiah is going to be born in Bethlehem. But you still have these wise men, these magi, these astrologers, these sorcerers, these, these diviners who are recognizing something that the people of God are missing, that they aren't recognizing. And so what am I saying? What are you thinking? Are you saying, you, you might be thinking, like, are you saying that God worked through their religious practices to reveal himself? Yes, that's what I'm saying. They came searching. They said, well, where is he? Where is he? Who are you searching for? Are you, are you actually searching for the king of the Jews? Are you actually searching for the Messiah, the rescuer? Are you actually searching for Jesus? Or are you searching for the traditional Jesus? You searching for the baby Jesus. You searching for the Jesus of medieval Christianity. You searching for the Jesus of Western Christianity. Who are you searching for? Because the Magi here, they're searching for Jesus. And it was through their religious practices that God spoke to them. I know that may sound like blasphemous to us. I know that may sound like, wait, wait, what are you, what are you saying? That God, that God uses other, that God uses other religions to reveal Jesus to people? And I'm like, guys, I've just seen it happen. I just know people who are following Jesus who are steeped in another religion and God awakened them to Jesus. Now, am I saying that all religions lead to Jesus? No. Am I saying that any religion leads to Jesus? No. Give you a little time to think about that. God is for Jesus, which means God is for us. The church fathers say that all truth is God's truth. Wherever you can find truth, whatever system it's in, whatever religion it's in, whatever culture it's in, if it's true, it's God's. It comes from Him. It's the truth. People are seeing, having, all over the Muslim world, people are having visions and dreams of Jesus. And all over the Muslim world, they're following Jesus and still staying Muslim. They're praying five times a day to Jesus now. They're uh, giving to the poor because it's part of, it's, it's doing it to Jesus now. They are, um, uh, uh, going on Hajj, and they're doing it to Jesus, right? Like these things, uh, it's they've they've taken this, they've taken 
their religious ways, their traditions, and they repurpose them for Christ. And so we have an example here in the scriptures of the Magi, of God speaking to these Magi and showing them Jesus. And no matter where you are right now, what your background is, what you've been through, God has been searching for you. He's been trying to track you down. He's been pursuing you. He's been trying to love you. He's been searching your heart. He's been calling your soul to himself. And that's because he's for you. He's not against you. And so if you feel distant from God right now, it's not him, it's you. He's trying to call you to himself. He's beckoning you. He's wooing you to himself. He loves you. And God isn't going to let any religious, man-made religious practices get in his way to revealing himself to his children, to his creation. I think that God will use any means necessary to rescue us. To reveal himself to us. Even Christianity. I'll let that sit in for a second. I think God will even use Christianity to reveal Jesus to us. There's so many traditions, guys, that we have that are good. And there's so many that are actually hindering us from seeing the King of the Jews, from saying, where is he? I want him, I'm searching for him. There's so many things that are blinding us, that are causing our vision to be myopic, that we're just missing because we're stuck in a religion. And even the Magi, who were in a pagan religion, could see that something that was gonna change the world was happening. And even in Christianity, even in the church, people are missing that all around us. You're missing that. Guys, our religion may not be astrology anymore, but it's, for most of us, it's capitalism. It's how my stock's doing. It's I need to get equity in my home. It's, uh, you know, I gotta pay the bills, it's more things, it's materialism. And we're pursuing this other king, this other God. And yet we think we're living, we think we're following Jesus because we're in Christianity, in this religious system that can often obscure who Jesus really is. And so we see here that Herod in verse 7. He brings them to himself. He talks to them. 
they go and search Bethlehem because uh, he says, well, I want to worship him too. And verse 9 says about the, the Magi, after listening to the king, they went on their way. So they listened to Herod, but they said, you're not our king. We're searching for a different king. Who's your king? Who are you searching for? And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. In verse 10, when they saw the star, and so again, here's another thing. Let's say this was in Bethlehem. Um, I mean, the, we know he was born in Bethlehem, but, uh, and they probably lived in Bethlehem, but it's not explicit here. So, um, so it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced. Guys, get this here. This is overkill for Matthew in describing it this way. He says, they saw the star. They rejoiced, which means they were filled with joy, exceedingly with great joy. Like that's, that's how excited and joyful they were to know that the actual king had come to earth. The actual king had been born. The king of kings, the one who fulfilled all these prophecies, the consummation of all things was starting at this point. And they were rejoicing exceedingly with great joy. Guys, that's what Advent is for us. That's what it should be. Like, how many of you, uh, how many of you rejoice exceedingly with great joy that Jesus is your King, that He is your Savior, that He is your life, that He is your everything? Jesus is our everything. If you're a follower of Jesus, people should see us rejoicing exceedingly with great joy, so that they want a piece of that. So they want, they want to see, so that they say, "I don't want that to be my King anymore. I want King Jesus." I want King Jesus. And so they, they're doing that. They go into the house. They see the child with Mary, his mother. They fall down before a toddler, before a toddler, before a one-year-old, before a two-year-old. They fall down and they worship him and they give him treasures. They open up their treasures, offer him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Guys, they knew the consummation of all things was in their midst, that the kingdom of heaven was coming. Wow. They knew that. And they fell down. They worshiped. They said, forget all this astrology stuff. Forget all this other stuff. This is our king now. This is our king. This is our God. We will worship him. And then they're warned in a dream not to return the way because of Herod. They're warned in a dream, just like Joseph was. So God spoke to Joseph in a dream. Now he speaks to the Magi in a dream. And, and they're warned not to, not to return. Guys, our traditions prevent us from hearing God in this way. They prevent us from hearing God through our dreams and visions. They prevent us from hearing God and obeying clearly. They prevent us from hearing God through others. Your tradition, your tradition may be preventing God uh, from speaking to you now. And, and, and right now, I want to uh, help us strip, strip away our traditions. 
Here's a quote I want to give you from a guy named Rich Mullins. He was a young Christian musician in the 80s and 90s who died in early death in his low 40s around, yeah, in the late 90s, um, 97, 98, somewhere around there in a plane crash. And uh, he's one of the, he's one of the modern men of renown of whom the world was not worthy, as the book of Hebrews says. And he says this, he says, uh, everything that's ever happened has failed and it will continue to fail. But I think that's because God is a jealous God and he will not share us even with our best ideas about him. And when Christ has stripped away all of your phony baloney, kind of systematic theology, all of our lame Protestant kind of stupidity, all of our Catholic hangups, when Christ has stripped away everything that we've invented about him, then maybe, maybe we will encounter, we will encounter him as he really is. And we will know ourselves as we really are. How many of you guys think Jesus came to earth as a Christian? Jesus came to earth as a Jew. Jesus came to earth within Judaism, a practicing Jew. He didn't come to earth as a Christian. Do you realize that? Do you realize how our religion can get in the way of our Jesus sometimes? Jesus didn't even come to earth as a Christian. He wasn't even trying to start a new religion. He said, I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill it. He didn't say, I came to get rid of that so I can give you this, this new religion. Guys, we've created that. And so be open-handed with your traditions this Christmas. Be open-handed with what you know about Jesus and say, maybe I'm latching on to things that, I didn't actu that aren't actually true. I want you to see Jesus for all he is. God is for Jesus. He is not for your Christianity. He is not for your, your religious practices. He is not for your religion. In fact, he talks against the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the chief priests the hardest because they are entrenched in religious ways. That's us today. We are the religious right. We are those traditionalists. He says, I want you to see me. Who are you searching for? Who's your real king? I want you to see Jesus before you, stripped of all, all the garb. So that this Christmas, it's a true kingdom Christmas where we worship in spirit and in truth, where we were a people who were dwelling in darkness, but now we've seen a great light. And we can be children of light who walk in the light and the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for the example of these magi who you redeemed, who worshipped you, who became your followers 
And so for us, we have so much more than they did to go off of. We have so much more than the disciples did to go off of. Let not our traditions hinder us and blind us. May we come to you open-handed, open-hearted, open-minded, open-eyed, giving you all things so that you would show us who you truly are. We love you, Jesus. Thank you for the life that you gave to us, that you gave for us, that you're working in us and through us. May we be agents of reconciliation this Christmas for those around us. In your name, amen.